I, I want to read a scripture passage. It's a, it's a lengthy one. It's a familiar one. And then we're going to go through this and see how it relates to the ministry in Zuni, New Mexico. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John 4, and we're going to look at divine appointments, beginning at verse 4. Now we had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Sir, said the woman, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming. When you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will remain, uh, explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of our Lord. Let me start by saying a couple of things about the place where we have lived for the past 29 and a half years. It's always been a somewhat isolated community. It's about 35 miles south of I-40, Gallup, New Mexico. It's not a main thoroughfare to Phoenix or Albuquerque, and so you'd have to go out of your way to come to Zuni. And I thank you for many of you coming and visiting us over the years. You might not recognize the place. It's changed a whole lot. Uh, we have a brand new facility, new school, new church. The destination, um, Zuni, has 
been a, a, a place where people have come through the centuries because just a little ways to the east is El Moro and a constant source of water. As you can imagine uh, being in a place where it hasn't rained or snowed for 135 straight days. We're in a drought. Uh, the ponds, the rivers have gone dry. The aquifers are suffering. Uh, it's, a, it's an arid country. It's not the home of the rich and famous. Uh, there are just a couple of well-known Zunis. One died several years ago, an artist of Indian artist of the year, Alex Siautua. The Zuni traditional religion features summer rain dances, night dances during the winter, all calling for the gods to bring blessing upon the village. I've had a habit over the years when we lived in the big house, those of you who've been in Zuni, remember that great big bungalow that we lived in, it's been demolished. But I would give out water balloons to the local community kids every summer. I had a supply, hundreds of water balloons, fill them up, tie them up, and they would go and do what kids do. A lady from the community came and said that the misfortunes of the Pueblo are attributed to my negligence of the use of water and negligence of the established Zuni ways. Because I was abusing water, the gods would no longer bless Zuni. So I gave balloons and told the kids not to tell their parents. I hope this is not going on YouTube or Facebook. I'll tell you about that at lunchtime. A couple of years ago, I was called into the tribal chambers by the governor, lieutenant governor, and others, and told that I was no longer to present the gospel to the young children, telling them to turn from their Zuni ways to, the, to following Jesus Christ. I tried to explain to the governor that the, it's the moving of the Holy Spirit in people's lives that, that make them understand who Jesus Christ is. I said, I have no power to change people, but I do present the gospel, and I do believe that Jesus Christ loves the Zuni people. That's why I'm here. I was told in no uncertain terms, stop it, or you will be ushered off the, from the reservation. You can't stand on a street corner in Zuni and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. A young mother walked in our church on a Sunday morning several years ago. She's still in our church, an active part. Her daughter was suffering from, and still is, cystic fibrosis. This lady had several relationships. She had come to me shortly after being physically abused by the man that she was now with. A sad and lonely lady given uh, to tears very easily. She thought that her two grandchildren were going to be taken out of her home because there was a lot of fighting that took place there. She walked into our church one Sunday morning and she heard these words, Come to the water, stand by my side. I know you are thirsty, you won't be denied. I felt every teardrop when in darkness you cried, but I've come to remind you that for those tears I died. Now, I believe with all of my heart that Marissa came to our church that day because of a divine appointment. A young man came into our gym 
He was living in a shack. And once a week, he wanted to take a shower. And he never asked me. I'd open the doors. My practice on Sunday morning is to preach to the chairs. And if the the chairs don't fall asleep, I think I can preach that sermon on Sunday morning. He would come in, and he would walk into the showers. He would take a shower, and then he would leave every Sunday morning. Then he began to stay and he would stay longer, and he began to sit down, and he started hearing the gospel. And I want to submit to you this morning that Carmichael came because of a divine appointment. It was God's plan that Carmichael be there. This woman from Samaria was met by Jesus at a well, an interesting well, a place of romance. It's where Jacob and Rebekah met, Remember? Jesus, I think, went out of his way. It wasn't because he was compelled by the Pharisees to be there. He could have taken another route. He went to this isolated area, this isolated place called Samaria. And Samaritans and Jews, I won't get into this, you know it well, most of you, didn't get along very well. This woman was showing up at the well because... She didn't have real good relationships with men, and she was isolating herself from the community. She wanted to avoid people, and therefore she comes at noon. There is Jesus sitting at the well, the well of their father, their father Jacob. And I believe that Jesus Christ, by divine appointment, is beginning a romance here. Not a sexual romance, not a husband and wife romance, if you will, But the groom is meeting the bridegroom. He was going to bring her into his church. Now, Jesus is graciously relational. He's going to break through the racial barriers, the gender uh, barriers. He's going to give this woman a, a gift, a woman of not of privilege by any means. She had nothing to bring to the table except her heart. And Jesus was going to make her his child. And he is going to do it with relentless pursuit. He is going to get in to her heart. Now, it's interesting to me as I read this story. I I was uh, in Midland, Texas just uh, a year and a half ago. And I was talking with a man there in Midland, an oil man, who grew up in Mississippi. And he told me that the town where he lived had a Woolworths and a Walgreens... And they had uh, drinking fountains for white folks and colored folks. Now, how do you explain that to your kid? That the whole plumbing system is based on racial animosity, discrimination. The well in Samaria had the sign colored over it. And I want you to notice that Jesus Christ wasn't just asking for a drink from a well. He was asking for a drink from her bucket. Now, if you think that Jesus is all high and uppity in in, 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 in high culture, think again. He's a wilderness savior, as my professor Neil Plantinga would always say, going out of the way to touch people that other people wouldn't touch. He is standing 59 years ago in a Walgreens and asking a colored woman for a drink from her water, and he drinks it while all the people are watching. Jesus is graciously relational. He's knocking down age-old barriers. 
But what I find interesting is that this woman needed to talk. She didn't know it. She didn't understand it. Years of hardening had gone on in her heart, and Jesus sends away the disciples so that he can have a personal conversation with someone who desperately needed a personal conversation. And he talks to her about eternal life. Talks to her about living water. Many years ago, I was following my guide, my hunting guide, and uh, we had gotten on the trail of a large bull with several cows. We got out of the truck, and we made our way to track down that bull. Ended up walking seven miles and had to come seven miles back, and I was not wearing a camelback. See, a few of you know what that is, I can tell. When I got back to my truck, I realized I needed water desperately, and I took that water bottle, and the water came over my face. Not only did it quench my thirst, but that water tasted sweet. Jesus is saying, now, you know, this is, gets a little scientific. We are 50% water. Did you know that? We need water to, to, to be sustained. And Jesus is saying, the living water that I can give you is not only going to sustain you physically, but it's going to sustain your spirit. It is going to fill you, and it's going to be powerful. Well, give me some of this water, she says. You know, I mean, it's, it's like a lot of people in our society. In, in, in Zuni, uh, people have two ways to go if they don't come to Christ. Number one, they can uh, follow the Zuni religion and try to appease the gods, the age-old gods. And it's never enough. You can never pray enough. You can never dance enough. You can never give enough away. There's always something more that has to be done to appease the gods who don't have a name. But then the other offer is the acquisition. Having things. Making yourself uh, acceptable in society by, by money and by, by gaining some good looks. And a lot of people realize, I can't attain that. And there's a lot of reasons for drugs and alcohol. But in Zuni, one of the reasons is that I cannot achieve that anesthetize the pain, drink, drink, and drink some more. I had an elderly man say to me in response to the broader society that he could not live up to, and he said, you know, Pastor Mike, there's a story about St. Peter, and a guy is dying, and he comes to St. Peter, and he says, can I take something to heaven with me before I die? And Peter says, you don't need to take anything. And the guy says, but just one thing. And Peter reluctantly says, okay, you can take something. Goes to the bank, the man, pulls out his gold bars, puts them in a suitcase, shows up at the pearly gates, and Peter says, what's in the suitcase? And he said, well, just open it up. And there were the gold bars. Peter looked at them and said, pavement? You're bringing pavement to heaven? I threw that in for free. It says that Jesus Christ talks to her about living water. He, he wants to bring something into her life that she had been trying to, to solve, some, to, to appease, something that she wanted to find fulfillment in in this life. She wanted to be loved by a man. Now Marissa, when she came to me, she hated men. And yet she kept going from man to man to feel the warmth of their embrace. 
You know, Jesus is appealing to the, the yearning of a human heart. Every one of us here has a yearning heart, a yearning for something, yearning for approval. I mean, I, I, sometimes I go to synod, and, and I, and I want to be smarter than everybody else, and I realize I'm not. And I can knock myself out wanting to be smarter than someone else, and, and I realize what I'm seeking is approval. I'm yearning for approval. I want someone to say that your life is okay. You're justified. Now, in this case, this woman in that society couldn't justify herself unless she had a man love her. And Jesus read right into her heart. He knew her, and he wanted her, an eternal relationship with her, and he was relentless in his pursuit. I find, you know what a non sequitur is? When, when something that is said does not follow from the previous statement, they're talking about water, and this woman is saying, you know, uh, if I could get some indoor plumbing, I wouldn't have to keep coming here anymore. And she finds this, this, this butler in the sky who's going to provide these needs. The way society looks at God, he's one who provides for me. And as long as he provides for me, I, I don't need him anymore. Well, Jesus looks at her and says, go call your husband. Go call your husband and come back. And the woman is saying, don't go there. We're not going to talk about that. Jesus, graciously pursuing her, does not say a whole lot more about that. He says, okay, I know you've had five husbands, five relationships. I know that you're seeking approval. I know you want to be loved. You're not going to find it in a human being, not the way you were created. You're only going to find this if you receive the grace, the eternal love, forgiveness, and ongoing relationship of the God who made you. That's what's going on between the lines here. And then Jesus says to her, or she changes the subject right away. Sir, I can perceive that you're a prophet. You know right into my heart. And immediately changes the subject. Uh, not long ago, I was sharing the gospel with a Zuni man. And I remember he changed the subject immediately. And this is what he said when I was sharing about the, the cross. He said, what about the conquistadors? What about the conquistadors? Well, they came with a sword and they put it on our Zuni's, Zuni's chest and said, you've got to become a Christian. He says, that's called Christendom and I hate it. And I said, that's not about Jesus. He says, yes, it is. That's exactly about Jesus. He was trying to change the subject. She's trying to, to, to get Jesus away from his purpose. And she says, you know what? We worship here in Samaria, Mount Gerizim, we have a temple. You guys worship there in Jerusalem. And Jesus looks at her and says, okay, right now you worship in Jerusalem, but a time is coming, and the word is our, the hour is coming when you will no longer worship on Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. You're going to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And what is that hour? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And he says, that time is coming when I am going to draw you to, to myself into an eternal relationship with you. I am going to put them into the temple and into the sacrificial lambs. I am the one that you will meet, and, and in just a moment, he's going to introduce himself. And I would give a thousand New Mexico sunsets to see the look on her face when she looked into the face of kindness and unconditional love for the very first time in her life and say to her fellow man, her fellow citizens, could this be the Messiah? Aha! If there's anyone here in this room today going through your life, wondering if you're going to be approved by your spouse, am I thin enough? Am I smart enough? Am I doing these things that are going to gain the approval, that where I will gain the approval, not only of my husband, of my culture? People are knocking themselves out for this acceptance and for this approval. You know, Someone came up to me earlier and said, Mikoff, you're getting older. And I said, I know. I know. Peter calls this body a tent, right? And I was living in Oak Lawn, working at Elam some years ago. Siren went off. I went into the house, turned on the TV. And it says, take shelter immediately. Run to a tent. Oh, that's not what it said. If you don't have a basement, go find a basement. This body is a tent. It's not eternal. And it is weak, and it is vulnerable. But the Lord has promised us an eternal home, a foundation that will never fail. Amen? That's where Jesus is leading this woman, into this eternal relationship. He is the one who's establishing this. He's the one who's bringing pardon and fullness. Now, how can this be? How can we understand this? This woman needed, for the first time in her life, to see perfect love. On the cross, Jesus Christ said something very, very profound. He's on the cross, and he said, I thirst. Now you say, oh, he was suffering physical suffering and pain. Of course, he was, he was in agony. But Jesus also said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the prophet Nahum said that hell, eternal separation from God, is unquenchable thirst. And Jesus Christ thirsted the unquenchable thirst because he had to leave the presence of the Father and believe me, it was eternal. It was eternal hell, because in hell, there is no time. Jesus is separated from the Father, so that you and I could drink the water of Christ forever. He took the forsakenness of God so that we could live in his presence forever. That's the picture. That's what Jesus Christ is leading this woman to. And it's astounding. It is amazing. Now, in closing, what does that kind of changed life look like? What happens after Jesus makes appointments with people and reveals his love and his grace to people? What, what happens? What takes place? I was looking for a way to conclude this message today, and 
I don't know how many of you remember a book by the name of Chang Tun Compound, written by a man named Landon Gilkey. He was a man who came to understand that Jesus Christ is the source of living water, and it's a gift of God, not something that he could earn, that he was smart enough or privileged enough to earn. He graduated from Harvard in 1940 and went to China to teach at a university. When the Japanese conquered that part of China, he was captured and put into an intern camp. And he wrote about this. He said that every person had an 18-inch wide bed, three inches at the end of the bed for all of their belongings, 2,000 people packed in a, in, a, in a city square. When Gilkey arrived at the camp, he was a self-described secularist. He believed that religion was fine for some people, and he believed that if you put a committee together for the trash and for the food, everybody would live together well, we would manage our way through this. But he became terribly disillusioned. He was there for two years. He said nobody would share. People were cruel, and they just tried to survive. They'd steal, and they lie, and the educated, and the sophisticated, and the un, uh, acted just like the uneducated and the unsophisticated. He said even the religious people in the camp were selfish. They talked a good talk, but the pressures were great, and they lived for themselves. Gilkey said that he too suffered from selfishness and anger. He wasn't proud of his own behavior, but he said there was one luminous and remarkable person in the book. A man was imprisoned there by the name of Eric Little, a Scottish Presbyterian missionary who won the gold medal in the Olympics in 1924. He was a 100-yard dash runner, didn't do it because it was on Sunday. Instead, he got the gold medal in uh, the 400. Chariots of fire, you're thinking, right? Exact guy. And here's what Gilkey said about him. It's rare indeed when a person has the good fortune to meet a saint. But Eric Little came as close as anyone I've known. Everybody suffered from anger and selfishness and despair, but Eric was overflowing with good humor and joy and had a love of life. He was constantly pouring himself out in selfless effort, to pinned up teenagers in the camp. He ran chess tournaments. He helped them build model boats. He cooked them modest meals whenever he could. He said we scarcely could have survived without him. Gilkey tried to figure out what made Eric Little different. difference, and the only thing that he could figure out is that somewhere along the line, Jesus Christ made an appointment, a life-changing appointment with Eric Little. What's our legacy? We are living in a society that is increasingly unchristian. Not the, breathe, the air we breathe is secular. And our task as parents and grandparents is to promote the truth of the gospel of this one of whom John writes, he was full of grace and truth. I saw him with my eyes, the one who came from the Father. Our calling in life is to promote not just the truth of the word, but the truth of the Jesus it proclaims. Amen. In a society that's quickly changing, we need to pass on this gospel.
through word and deed. Don't let the children see the disconnect between your doctrine and your life. I'm going to ask you to pray because the Zuni church will soon be calling a new minister. I'm praying that already now a divine appointment will be made that God will call, plant the seed in this person's heart, preparing that church, our church, the Zuni church, to be the church that God wants to present the gospel over the, un, until he comes again. Who knows how long that will be. God has blessed us immensely. And he's blessed us through partners and friends like you. Thank you for standing alongside of us all of these years. And I'm here to declare that those prayers have been heard, appointments are being made, lives are being changed. And even as I speak, there are three Zuni young adults in school preparing for the gospel ministry in Zuni. You've asked in past years, how do I pray? Pray for future leaders, indigenous leaders. And God has answered that prayer. Amen? Thank you so much. God bless all of you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for what changed life is available to us through the power of the gospel. And we pray that you would help us. Help us to know it. Either through believing in Christ today for the first time or using the gospel in our hearts in a way that we haven't in the past. Speak to us through this passage of Scripture, through this woman and this interaction with Jesus, so that we too might know the changed life that you want us to have and that it will honor you. Lord, give us strength and give us courage to pass on this gospel. Help us not to be ashamed and help us to see you do the mighty work that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people say.